The Lord calls us to worship this morning uh, from Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. He has given food to those who fear Him. He will be ever mindful of His covenant. He has declared to His people the power of His works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of His hands are verity and justice. All His precepts are sure. Amen. Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, today. And Lord, we cry out to you and call on you to fill us with your Spirit, that by Him we may praise you in a way that is pleasing in your sight. And Lord, we do ask that by your Spirit everything that we do and say, and even the thoughts of our hearts this morning would be pleasing in your sight, that all honor and glory would be given to you, the only God, the creator of the universe, and the one who is in control and in charge of all things. We look to you, Lord. And Lord, we pray now, joining our hearts and our voices together, praying the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we'll be reciting together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the hymnal if you'd like to turn there. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, 
suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Psalm, chapter 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all of your diseases. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord, singing hymn number 597. Sit right here. There you go. 
You enjoy planting the garden. Yeah. Have you ever have you helped mom and dad with it? Maybe can some of you just tell us what some of your responsibilities, some of your chores were with it? What did you do, Katie? Um, I helped pull up some carrots you, and beets. Some. Okay, carrots and beets. Um, yesterday I helped plant trees. Yesterday you helped plant trees. Okay. Yeah, I helped water the garden. Water the garden. Okay. Anybody plant any seeds? Yeah? So let me ask you. Let me ask you. So some of you planted trees and helped pull up carrots and you helped water the garden. So who can take credit for that? Who can take credit for that? I actually made it grow. You were responsible. You helped. You took part in it. You, you did something in the midst of that work. You can say and stand back and look. I helped. There was an issue going on in one of the churches in the Bible. In the book of 1 Corinthians, there was a discussion happening. Because there were people who uh, helped in the work of the church, in the work of the gospel. And so some of the people were saying, well, I follow this one church leader. And others said, but I follow this other guy. And Paul comes and he speaks a a very uh, clear message to them about this. Because people were kind of sectioning off and there were uh, what you might call groups or or um, special groups in the church. And so Paul says very clearly, and I wanted to share this with you, as you think about the season changing and working in the garden, and who provided for you, who gave your food from that garden, I want you to hear these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll start here in verse 5. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So what Paul is saying is, you might water, you might plant, you might be the one that gathers the harvest, but all of those things God has used and has given the increase himself. So when you look at the end of the season and say, look at all that I did, you can be thankful. Thankful that you got to work and help and be a part of what was growing in your garden. But you can also close your eyes and bow your head and look to heaven and say, thank you, Lord, that in the midst of what I was doing, you were working. Because, dear children, if the Lord Jesus isn't in what we're doing, it will not grow. It is his world. He made it. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that you you are the one who works in our world. You are at work every day in our lives, in the, in the life of our church, in the world around us, in our homes. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people. And I pray this for our covenant children. Lord, that they would see with eyes of faith, believing that even in the midst of their work, that you are working. And that if you are not in the midst of our business, in our chores, in our activities, in our schoolwork, Uh, Lord, that if you're not working there, then they will not succeed. Lord, we pray that you would be in our midst. I pray for our covenant children, Lord, that you would protect their hearts, grow their faith, and cause them to look to you as their Heavenly Father, and to believe and trust that you are with them. In your name, amen. Thank you.
This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to be reading out loud together Psalm 47. It's on page 803 in the hymnal. Psalm 47 on page 803. I'll begin with the light portion and please respond out loud together with the bold. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing to Him a psalm of praise. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 598. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. it is our privilege as your people to come into your presence. Lord, we come in fear and in awe and in trembling before you, the one who has made all things and who holds all things together. You guide all the activities of our lives. 
And everything comes into our doorstep by your hand. Lord, we bow in your presence. We lift up your name and we praise you. And we gather as your people today to worship you. And we lift up our hearts to you. Our whole heart, not hiding anything from you. Lord, we pray as your people that you would forgive us of our sins as we have already confessed them. And that you would help us, Lord, to believe by faith the assurance of pardon that you give us in your word. Lord, I pray for your people today as we gather together as the church. Your word calls us the bride of Christ. Lord, we pray that we would be being prepared by your spirit through your word, walking in your ways, that we would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling physically and mentally and emotionally, some who struggle in in deep and difficult ways. Lord, I pray that you would be with your people, remind them of your goodness and comfort them by your presence in their lives. There's not a moment that we walk through, according to your word, that you are not with us. And I pray that this would be a comfort to those who are struggling in our midst. Lord, I pray for those who couldn't be here today because of health reasons or otherwise. Lord, that you would comfort them to know that we lift them up in prayer as their church family. But Lord, also comfort them to know that one day uh, what ails them will no longer be a problem to them. That we believe that this broken body in this earth that we walk in is just a tent. And we will lay it off and you will clothe us clothe us with a glorious body like the resurrected body of the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we say, come quickly. Lord, I do pray for your work around this world. I pray for the missionaries that we support here at Lebanon, particularly for Andrew Shepherd. Lord, I pray for him that today you would comfort and strengthen him, build him up in faith, Lord. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would give him joy and delight as he meets others, uh, that he would be able to, with great conviction, share his hope in the gospel. Lord, we do pray practically for him that you would meet his needs financially so that he could go. And Lord, we pray that you would protect him as he travels around meeting others, uh, that they would hear clearly his call to ministry, and that you would join their hearts together in supporting him. Lord, we do pray for your saints around the world who today are struggling and who fear greatly to gather in worship, fearing uh, what man can do to the body. But Lord, I pray that you would give them great strength and hope in knowing that no man can do anything to the soul that the Lord Jesus protects. And I pray that that would be a comfort to them. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them boldness and strength. And Lord, we pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, his matchless name. Amen.
I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we continue in our sermon series this morning, Kingdom Life in a Fallen World, and we're looking uh, at each phrase of the Lord's Prayer and how the Lord taught His people to pray. As you're turning there, I want to share briefly with you um, a very brief update uh, from the Palmetto Presbyterian meeting that took place at St. Andrew's PCA in Columbia on Thursday. Uh, It was a wonderful day of worship and work, serving the Lord and being with His people. Um, There was a celebration of over 40 years of ministry as a teaching elder in our presbytery uh, will be retiring. And they affirmed this brother after serving the Lord for over four decades of faithfulness uh, to the Lord Jesus' church. A man was examined and came under care of our presbytery to pursue gospel ministry. And another was accepted into our presbytery uh, to be a chaplain uh, who is a little bit later in life but continues to feel strength and vitality in the Lord. And it was just a blessing to see him come into our presbytery with such full conviction of faith and a calling and a desire to serve the military and to share the gospel in a dark place. Uh, The Lord truly is at work. We heard a good report uh, from campus ministries. Uh, particularly at South Carolina, University of South Carolina. It was a a good report to hear that the Lord is working there uh, in our midst and uh, also a good report from South Carolina State, uh, one of the missionaries that we support uh, there. So the Lord truly is at work. I also did want to share with you that uh, the outcome of the votes that we have been asking you to pray. In the Lord's providence, uh, both of the overtures were voted in the negative from our presbytery, meaning they were not approved. And the Lord is absolutely on the throne, and He is working. He has a purpose and a plan for why it went this way. Don't be disheartened, dear people of God. The Lord is on the throne, and He is at work. Let's read together God's Word. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. This is the Word of the Lord. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. The sermon is entitled, Our Daily Bread. We're going to be focusing on... On the phrase in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, there is a question that is being answered, particularly related to this phrase. And the phrase is, is God able to provide for his people? Does he know their needs? Does he actually care? And is he trustworthy? And that question is answered over and over again throughout the Bible. Does God know our needs? Will He provide for us? Can we trust Him? And as God's people saw, as they were led out of Egypt, and they went into the wilderness, and they grumbled, it would have been better for us to be back there eating, Moses, than to stay here and be starving in the wilderness. And what did God do for His people? He provided manna for them every morning, and they ate. And they were feeding upon The Bible says in the New Testament, they were learning to feed upon Christ and to trust Him. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the one that provides for His people. He works. He provides. 
And it is in His wisdom and in His time that He does it. This prayer in Matthew chapter 6 is a model prayer that Jesus gave His disciples to pray. And as you and I prayed it this morning, give us this day our daily bread. We are making a statement of faith and profession that we believe the Lord Jesus is wise and kind and good and powerful enough to be able to provide for His people. And He does it in His wisdom and in His time. And He owes no one an explanation for it. He is the Lord Jesus. We feed upon Him. So as we join our hearts together looking at God's Word today, may He give us all ears to hear and eyes to see. And may we truly feed upon Christ together and be nourished today. This is His Word. And He ministers to it to you by His Spirit. I want to look at this passage under three headings. First, what does Jesus mean by daily bread? And then look at three tests throughout the Scriptures that God has taught His people through food and through providing for us. And lastly, hoping in true nourishment that will last. The first, what does Jesus mean by daily bread? Bread in the Bible, it's a simple definition. It represents all of our food and all of our basic needs. The things that we need to sustain life every day. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, Paul was clear when he told Timothy that having food and clothing with these, you should be content. Don't set your heart on riches, Timothy, and encourage God's people there where you minister. Don't set your heart on riches. doesn't mean you can't store up, but don't set your heart on them. If you have food and clothing, be content. The significance to Jesus' hearers, as they heard Jesus teach them, this is how you should pray for your daily bread. It's significant because they lived in a society where they depended on the ground. They ate bread every day. It was their source of food. It was a daily thing for them. It was also a, a source of dependence. You have to consider all the circumstantial elements that went into them having Food every day, the general state of the economy, the contributing factors like rain. You don't get bread without rain. You don't get bread without seed being planted. So contributing factors like the rain and social issues and even the political landscape of the day, all of these things, all of these matters, God is sovereignly controlling all of them according to His own plan. The people learned dependence. This was a prayer of dependence. And lastly, it... There was some urgency, some desperation. The day's wages were paid on a daily basis. And those wages paid for the day's groceries. Actually worse than some people today who might be living from paycheck to paycheck. They were hopeful one day after the other to get paid so they could go buy food and feed their family. And if a man went out that day and couldn't find work, or if his employer was crooked and didn't pay him after a full day's work, he would go hungry that day. And maybe his family too. And though this might seem like something that's very far away, and we have freezers and refrigerators that are full, there are those even in our midst here in Fairfield County who look to the Lord and do pray, Lord, please provide my daily bread. So even though it may be distant from us, there are those even in our midst who struggle this way. Even though Western culture has changed enough that we might not feel the urgency to pray this way for food daily. Our food still comes from our Heavenly Father, the God of the universe who controls all things. And we honor Him every time we acknowledge this and pray to Him that He would provide for our families. First, what does Jesus mean by daily bread? Secondly, three tests. 
I believe that every time we read about this, we see in God's providence that ever since the Garden of Eden, food has been a test for God's people. It's been a test of wisdom, a test of work, and a test of worship. And a test, you remember in the Bible, is a sovereignly ordained event for godly discipline. And discipline, you might remember, is not always something negative. It's also for instruction. So tests in the Bible, they teach us about humility. They expose the depths of deceit in our hearts. They alert us to the constant need for dependence on God. And they aid in our watchfulness of future sin. God's tests in His kindness are good for us. And each of these three things, as we look at them, they're interrelated. They're not all disconnected. They all flow and work together. They're not separate. The first is the test of wisdom. And you remember wisdom in the Bible, if you were to put it to a phrase, it would be like this. Which path before me today would glorify God and redound to my own lasting satisfaction in Him? Those two things, our satisfaction and the glory of God are always linked together. And any time we as God's people separate them, I will pursue my own satisfaction apart from God. That's where we walk into sin. That's not living after wisdom. Which path will I choose? We see related to food in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. These words are said right before Eve grabbed the fruit on the forbidden tree. When the devil, Satan, the serpent, was speaking to Eve, in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman, Eve, saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and she ate it. Then look at the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, during His temptation, verses 3 and 4. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Isn't it curious, as you look at that phrase in Genesis, where Eve is having a discussion with the serpent, that in just one conversation with him, Eve was tempted to believe that a tree's fruit was powerful enough to add wisdom beyond what God had already endowed her with. In just one conversation, do not doubt for a moment that your enemy doesn't desire to unseat your faith, even with just a hint of doubt. Don't dabble in it. Don't play with it. Don't give it an opportunity to even think about it. It was one conversation, and it was enough for her to believe there's more wisdom that I could go get if I just eat off of this tree. The Lord Jesus demonstrated for us in His temptation what it meant to walk in wisdom. According to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says there that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Even though Satan tempted Him, and Jesus actually had the power to turn anything into bread, not just stones, but He knew, I cannot take my satisfaction and separate it from the glory and the will of God. Those things go together, and you will not win this moment, Satan. And he walked in wisdom before the Lord. There, it was a test of wisdom. But secondly, in the Bible, there's also a test of work. What approach to the tasks ahead exalts the sovereignty of God and embraces my responsibility? That's what the test of work is. How will the sovereignty of God be exalted here in the work that I do today, related to my food, 
my daily provisions, what it takes to make it? And how does this also embrace my responsibility before the Lord to work and to do the things that He's called me to do? In Exodus chapter 16, God demonstrated His sovereignty over all things when He provided manna for His people. But notice who was working. Notice who was in the field laboring and serving and toiling. Nobody. Nobody worked for the manna. God told them to go to bed at night and to get up in the morning and to gather it. They didn't work for it. They didn't plant seeds. But they were there to gather it. That was their responsibility to walk in faith, go to bed at night, and believe in the morning the Lord will provide. And we know the story that later, as God continued to provide and be faithful day after day, they grumbled in their hearts. They grumbled at the provision of the Lord. They, they wanted food, He gave it. And when He gave it, it still wasn't enough. That is the draw of the sinful heart. I need something else. I need something else to grab my heart and to keep my attention. It's, it's a test of work for us. I'll go out and do something else. I'm not satisfied with what God provides. I will go do something else and get something else. A test of work we see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. This is strong words. If a man doesn't work, he won't eat. What is being prayed in this prayer? Lord, give us this day our daily bread. There is a willingness to work that's assumed here. It's an incredible presumption to assume that we can expect a handout from God while not doing what He's called us to do. Man was put in the garden to have dominion over it, to tend it, and to think, well, Lord, just provide for me and just have my hands out. It's an incredible presumption on God. In Westminster Larger Catechism, question number 193, what do we pray for in the fourth petition? This petition that we're looking at today, it says that we as sinful people, have forfeited our right to all the outward blessings of this life. It is, a, it is a grace from God that He gives us work and allows us to be out and earn a living. It is a graciousness from Him. He's not owing it to us. Work is not a result of the fall in Genesis 3. As you read back over that chapter, you see that there were curses given because of sinfulness and disobedience. But the curse on work was that it would be a toil for man in Genesis 3, verse 17. That the ground now would bring forth thorns and thistles. That the work would be hard to the point that it would grind at our very soul, not just at our hands. And that the way that we work, we would go through it every day until we returned to the dust that we were made from. That was the curse. Work was not the curse, but the way that it would grind at our soul. The way that we would think and believe, I can trust in that. I'll just put all my hope in that. And then what comes forth but thorns and thistles? Or what eats it? Not my family, but the deer and the other critters out in my yard. God was showing His people through that curse, you must depend on Me. You must look to Me and feed upon Me through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what He is saying in this test of work. Lastly, the third test of worship. And this question that we're answering about this test of worship is as we think about food and our daily needs, and it might be something beyond food, what money, things that I need, Lord, you know what I need. In humility, who is on the throne of the universe? And who is worthy of all honor, glory, and trust? Who deserves your trust? 
Who deserves your trust? There is an answer you have to give to that. I trust God that you will provide. Satan, through his many wily ways and our own sinful hearts and the inclinations that we follow when we trust only in ourselves, we love to give audience to a hint of doubt in our sin. Will God really provide? Is He really good? Is He trustworthy? Will He come through when my family and I am really desperate? In Psalm 37, verse 25, the psalmist rejoiced to say, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. We see demonstrated there by the psalmist a childlike faith that says, After I've lived all of my life, I know that the Lord provides. It is a test of worship. Who will you run to? Who will you praise? Who will you depend on? Is it your own back and your own hands and the calluses on them? Or will you trust the Lord that He knows best, that He will provide what you need? And will you also say in trust that, Lord, I trust that what you provide is sufficient for me? I mentioned a moment ago in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, when Paul was instructing Timothy, he told him, If you have food and clothing with these, be content, dear son in the faith. If you have those, be content. And he says later in verses 9 and 10 that the quest for wealth, for the wealth's sake, not necessarily to be a blessing to others or to give, but just for the sake of wealth, this quest for money, the drive in us that says, I've got to have it. When a billionaire was once asked, what is the right amount of money that somebody needs? He answered just a little bit more. Just It's a never-ending, never-ending hunger. It's got to be just a little bit more. It's not enough. And the Bible says, Paul says that this is a trap for God's people. And our enemy would love to pierce our very soul with it. Be distracted with it, young people. Go get a job. Work hard. Make a lot of money. Put all of it away. Buy nice things. Be enraptured with it. And be totally distracted from your life in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the enemy wants you to believe. You need to worship things. Don't worship the Creator. Worship the things that money gets you. The quest for wealth, will it will attract you and your enemy would love to pierce your soul with it. Do you trust that what God provides is sufficient for you? Though I might want something else, the Christian says, that desire cannot be king in my life. You can pursue it, and if you have money, dear people of God, feel the freedom to enjoy the wealth that the Lord Jesus has given you. You shouldn't apologize for that or feel guilty if He has blessed you with money. But anyone who has it and who walks with the Lord knows that is not king. It could be here today and gone tomorrow. I will not worship at the altar of money and things. I will trust that what the Lord provides for me today is sufficient for today. And only in humility, by God's Spirit, can we say... And please hear me, young people, that if He will not provide it for me at this time, I must not need it right now. I must not need it right now because my Heavenly Father knows all my needs. And if He's not giving it now at this time, I must not really need it. Is He trustworthy? Is He worth laying all your trust on Him? That's the question that's being answered in this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Lastly, hoping in the nourishment that will last. This is a prayer that God Himself, the One who rules heaven and earth, would feed us and sustain us for all eternity. 
Last week we talked briefly about the woman at the well for just a moment. When Jesus was having a conversation with her, He said, if you knew who it was that asked you for water, you would have asked Him, and He would give you living water. Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst, but the water that I give shall be in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. And what was her response? Lord, give me this water, because if you've got it, please give it to me. I don't have to come back here again and be seen like I have a scarlet letter around my neck on my shirt. All of the women around here know who I am. Even you know how many husbands I've had. I can escape all that shame. Would you give me that water? She was thinking physically. With her physical eyes, give me the water so I don't have to come back here. Or the people in John chapter 6, just a couple chapters later, after Jesus fed 5,000 people with loaves and fish that multiplied and multiplied and grew, and everyone ate and was satisfied, and they gathered enough to have more than they started with. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 26, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus is promising to provide. Because God the Father has set His seal on Him. And then later in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus was here saying, I am the bread that sustained the people of God as they wandered through the wilderness because of their unbelief. I am the one that feeds my people. And Jesus is making a statement here. And you have to level with this. This is something in your own soul. Every day you have to level with this. Either Jesus is a liar and he wanted to deceive everyone that he talked to, or he is a lunatic and he has no sense of reality. He doesn't know what's going on. He has no idea who he is or what's at stake in our lives. Or he is the Savior of the world and he is due every bit of worship that he commands us to give him. And if you are not trusting in the Lord Jesus today and if you are not feeding upon him as we come to the Lord's table in a couple of weeks, Taking the elements of the Lord's Supper doesn't make you any more a Christian than putting dirt on you makes you a tree or a seed. Don't hope in those things. Look to the Lord Jesus. And dear people of God, those who believe and hope in Him, rest in His gracious provision for your life today. And do not forget, and don't let the enemy give you a hint of doubt that He doesn't care. Your Heavenly Father knows and He cares. And He will provide. Cry out to Him, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your care in our lives. And we thank You for the sure and steadfast hope we have in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we look to You by faith. Though some days our faith may be weak and frail, we call upon Your name to be faithful to Your promises to us. Lord, help us to see the provision that You give. And give us hearts of contentment that we would delight to know that you have given it to us in your wisdom. And help us to praise you now in your name. Amen. Let's continue to worship singing hymn number 146, Break Thou the Bread of Life.
may be seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. opportunity to uh, to give back to you a portion of what you have so richly poured out on us. Would you use our tithes and our offerings for the glory of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to spread the gospel, the good news of salvation in him and freedom from our sins and from death and from ourselves. Lord, we thank you uh, for how you have delivered us, your people, 
In your name, amen. studying the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 4, on God's creation. Receive the benediction of our Lord. Now the Father who chose you, the Son that bought you, the Spirit who dwells in you, go before you in your darkness, stand beside you in your fears, hold you up in your sorrows, until Jesus comes again. Amen. Amen.